Well, good morning, church family. I hope that you had a meaningful time of worship this morning. Uh, pray that was an encouraging space to rest in Christ's presence. And I'm super excited to open God's word this morning. Uh, but I think it's really important to just start by kind of calling out where we are, because this is a strange time that we're in. And the truth is, um, most of us are grieving right now. Most of us are experiencing some type of loss in this season. Um, and some of us are, are feeling some really difficult things, uh, whether it's your sports season being canceled or losing a job or missing out on a graduation. Um, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. We are all losing something. I actually just talked to uh, a few different people this week uh, about this very thing. And the, the tenor of our conversation was grief. One of my friends, he just told me that he lost his job. He works at a theater and got an email that said, uh, you'll still have your job in July if we're able to open again. Talked to another friend of mine. Um, she was planning on spending the entire summer doing ministry with, with students at a camp. And she just found out a couple days ago that camp is canceled for the whole summer. Um, and it might not be something uh, that appears extreme for you. Like uh, I, I talked to another one of my neighbors just the other day. She has three little kids and she said, I feel like all I do now is cook. Like these kids just won't stop eating. And I think there's an element of loss in that too. Um, we're all experiencing it in different ways. This past week, I heard a pastor uh, share about an article from the Harvard Business Review that speaks to this very issue. And the article from from the Harvard Business Review, it's titled, The Discomfort You're Feeling Is Grief. And it's the world's leading grief expert. His name is David Kessler. He was interviewed for this piece, and I think it might just be helpful for our community. Uh, in the interview, Kessler, he's asked, what can individuals do to manage all this grief? And he says this, he says, Understanding the stages of grief is a start. But whenever I talk about the stages of grief, I have to remind people that the stages aren't linear. They might not happen in order. There's denial, which we say a lot of early on. This virus won't affect us. There's anger. You're making me stay home and taking away my activities. There's bargaining. Okay, if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be better, right? There's sadness. I don't know when this will end. And finally, there's acceptance. This is happening. I have to figure out how to proceed. And Kessler, he goes on to say that acceptance, as you might imagine, is where the power lies. I can wash my hands, 
I can keep a safe distance. I can learn how to work virtually. And I might add that for the follower of Jesus, after acceptance, there's trust. And that is the place where we actually can say, I'm choosing faith over fear. It's the place of resting at the feet of Jesus, knowing that it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have any strength or wisdom or courage in this season. Um, and trust, it's also a place of curiosity, of wonder. When we acknowledge God's greatness and his power and majesty, we're in awe and we wonder, God, what are you up to? It's that curiosity that prompts questions like, what is God up to and how can I participate in the mission of God? So this morning, I'm calling this little message, um, Cultivating a Holy Curiosity in the Midst of Crisis. I know it's, it's kind of a mouthful. Cultivating a Holy Curiosity in the Midst of Crisis. Um, we're going to look at a man named Zacchaeus in Luke 19. So feel free to turn to Luke 19. I'm going to look at few verses um, in between 1 and 10. And while you're getting there, I think uh, it's also important to just note what we're up against. Why is it so hard for us to be curious sometimes? And I think most of us, um, we would agree that we're trying to find God in the middle of this crisis. And if you've read through a good chunk of scripture, you know that God repeatedly says, if you seek me, you will find me. All throughout the narrative of scripture, from Deuteronomy 4 to Proverbs 8, to Jeremiah 29, to the Sermon on the Mount, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me, you will find me. But even if we understand that at a, a cognitive level, we have those verses memorized, we think, okay, yeah, that, you know, that makes sense, I get it. I think we can still have a hard time knowing how we actually seek God. And I think what we often miss is that curiosity precedes the act of seeking. So in order to seek God, we must be curious. And the way I'm using that word is the same way that Merriam-Webster defines it, which says curiosity is interest leading to inquiry. It also says, real simply, curiosity is the desire to know. It's that internal drive to ask questions and engage our imagination and think what could be if God is really working behind the scenes. But I think unfortunately for a lot of us, we can lose that sense of curiosity over time. I think it's something we all naturally possess as children. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's the thing that, that 
as kids, it, it makes us pick up snails and eat dirt and try licking a freezing pole and, and even climb trees, right? But as we get older, there is the potential to become less curious. We can, we can become more fixated on the right answers rather than asking the right questions. There's this notion that maybe adults should believe that they should have things figured out, something like that. But I think Jesus, he knew that this would happen because he says things like, well, he said in Matthew 18, he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We actually have to change and become like curious little kids if we want to experience the fullness of God's kingdom. So we're going to look at Luke 19 for a few moments, and we're going to see how Zacchaeus' curiosity it actually led him on this journey to a personal encounter with Jesus, one that would change him forever. So I want you to just engage your imagination this morning. Uh, go with me to the city of Jericho. If it helps you, you can close your eyes if you want. Um, the city of Jericho in the first century. Picture yourself standing in a crowd of people on a gravel road in the hustling, bustling city of Jericho. Imagine the palm trees Massive palm trees hanging over the edge of the road. You're wearing an itchy robe you can feel on the back of your neck. You're trying to break in your new Birkenstocks. You can smell the delightful scent of the balsam groves off in the distance. But most of your focus is directed to your anticipation of this rabbi that's about to come. The arrival of this teacher that you've heard about, you've heard the stories, you've heard about the miracles, and you're wondering, could it really be true? And while you're waiting in the hot sun for this teacher from Nazareth named Jesus, you see a little man scurrying down the side of the road towards a tree. Of course, that man is Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector, the chief tax collector. He steps on the scene. Now, I want to walk you through this progression of curiosity that Zacchaeus follows. Zacchaeus, he was a curious man. In verse 3, it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And I want you to note that verse because it really drives the rest of this narrative. We'll end up seeing that Zacchaeus, he makes some ridiculous decisions and he does a few things that are actually rather foolish, but he wanted to see who Jesus was. He was so curious about this man. He was probably thinking, could this be the Messiah? Are the stories true? Is he who he says he is. I've got to see this guy. So his curiosity, it leads to inquiry, and he takes action. He actually leaves his home to pursue a glimpse of this man named Jesus. And then he faces an obstacle. 
The text says, because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. And here, there's an internal obstacle, his height, of course, and an external obstacle, which is the crowd. And I think, I mean, I think all of us could identify obstacles right now that are keeping us from seeing Jesus. Whether it's an internal obstacle, like just even your attitude towards this crisis right now, or an external, like our culture, like everything that the news is telling us, this spirit of fear and panic that's in the air, it can keep us from seeing Jesus. Like even if we know that Jesus says, don't worry, be anxious about nothing, I think there's still part of us that when we see everything that's happening out there, we can start to think, well, maybe I should be worrying too. But Zacchaeus, he's resilient. Even though he's facing these obstacles, I mean, he easily, he could have thrown up his hands and just walked away. Just been fed up in a fuss. I'm not dealing with this, it's hot out, I'm going back home. But he doesn't back down. Instead, he takes a risk. He steps out of his comfort zone. And it's a small detail, but it's a really cool one. It says in verse four that he ran ahead. He ran ahead down the street, which this would have been considered foolish for this man, for an adult man, someone in a prestigious position of power, overseeing a bunch of tax collectors, to, to gird his loins and run down the street. Maybe even shameful. And then it says he climbed a sycamore fig tree since Jesus was coming that way. He climbs a tree. If you know the story, you probably know this part of the story, but I want you to just imagine it with a fresh perspective this morning. And think about this. Realize that for Zacchaeus, taking a risk, it required creativity. And I know, I know risk is sort of a loaded term right now. So to, to put it another way, maybe just think about stepping out of his comfort zone. It required creativity. Um, think about what could have been going on in his mind. Like he's running down the street. He's trying to see this man, Jesus. He's so curious. And he's looking around just thinking, what are my options here? Like I, you know... Was it a concert in downtown Jericho? Saw this dude on someone's shoulders? Maybe I could do that? Or like hop on top of a donkey, <laughs> get a view, or like get on my buddy's balcony? And then he's like, no, I'm just gonna climb this tree. And like, I mean, he had to have been thinking like, oh, like, no, no, that's dumb. People are gonna judge me. They're gonna be laughing at me or making fun of me. But he's so determined. He's so driven to see Jesus. And you'll also note that our boy Zach, he was the original social distancer. I mean, think about it. He's looking at this crowd. He's like, man, I'm not standing in that crowd. I'm going up in a tree. I'm, I'm distancing myself from these people. <laughs> but you have to remember that this would have been seen as completely ridiculous back in that day. 
Like, think about if you came to church once we're all back at our church. You come on a Sunday, walk out on the patio, you see Pastor Don just like hanging out in one of the trees on our patio, just like climbing up the tree, just chilling. You'd be like, what the heck are you doing, Don? <laughs> like, get down here. That's probably how it would have been for this chief tax collector to be up in a tree. But the point is that Zacchaeus, he risks his reputation and status and sacrifices his pride through this simple act of climbing a tree, all because he wanted to see who Jesus was. And it's that very risk, that moment of stepping out of his comfort zone that leads to a personal encounter with Jesus. So just to recap, curiosity, it leads to inquiry. The obstacles lead to creativity. And risk, or stepping out of one's comfort zone, it leads to an encounter. So what does this encounter look like for Zacchaeus? Well, you have to remember that Zacchaeus, he expects one thing. Uh, he expects to see Jesus, but he ends up receiving so much more. He wanted to see Jesus. That's it. Like, it, it appears in the text that he would have been satisfied with getting a glimpse of this man named Jesus. Maybe hearing one of his teachings from afar. But he ends up receiving so much more. And this idea of expecting something and then receiving so much more, it reminded me of my roommate, Emilio, uh, and something that happened just, I think it was last week. He basically was determined to bake bread. Now this was at the point where we thought that like, there wasn't gonna be any bread left in any grocery stores. Obviously, there's still bread. But he was determined to bake bread, and so we went on this journey of trying to find yeast, and we could not find it anywhere. Like We went to multiple different stores together, and then there was one evening where I was doing my own thing, and he told me he was going to look for yeast, and he comes back hours later and says that he went to seven stores and couldn't find any yeast. None. Zero. Maybe you had the same experience. But, you know, so he was bummed out and really wanted to make this bread. And a couple days later, he uh, realized that he was in this community group out in Monrovia where he used to work. And he just posted on there asking if anyone had yeast. And within the hour, this lady responds and says, you know, let's meet at Starbucks. Here's the address. Meet me there at this time. And so he goes. Well, he ends up meeting this lady and she just overwhelms him because she didn't bring just one packet of yeast. She actually brought three. So like just that alone, I mean, like hot commodity right now. He was stoked on that. And then she reaches down and she pulls out this cookbook, this bread baking cookbook and says, you know what, I actually looked at your Instagram account and saw all these pictures of food 
and I thought you would just really enjoy this cookbook. And so Emilio comes home and he's telling me all of this and it's just crazy, like literally, it's a $40 cookbook. And this lady just gave it to him with a smile. But he's telling me this, he just says, I expected one thing, which would have been wonderful, and I got so much more. All because I was curious and I just asked for help. And the truth is, the same thing is true for Zacchaeus in this story. Not only does he get to see Jesus, but he gets to have a personal encounter with him. He gets to talk to him, to show him hospitality in his own home, which would have been a huge honor in that day. And even experience the intimacy of a table fellowship with Jesus. And all this happened because he was curious. He sought Jesus out. There was something in the back of his mind that told him there was more to this Jesus dude. I wonder what that could be. I'm gonna go find out. In this encounter, truthfully, it changes everything for Zacchaeus. By the end of this little narrative, it's very clear that his life is actually transformed. And it appears that it's Jesus' kindness that leads him to repentance. It's Jesus calling out to him by name, sitting with him in his home, that leads Zacchaeus to completely reorient his way of thinking about reality, completely changes his mind about how he thinks about money and possessions and how he conducts business. All of a sudden, he's this selfless man thinking about the poor, thinking about others. He's thinking like a kingdom person, someone that's a citizen of a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And after this powerful personal encounter of Zacchaeus resting in the presence of Christ, Jesus makes this bold declaration. I want you to notice this. In, in verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And at the beginning, we referenced a couple verses about our seeking, that we seek God and we will find him. And we note how curious Zacchaeus is about Jesus, which led him on this journey. But that's only one side of the coin. On the flip side, we have to remember that Jesus is also seeking Zacchaeus. He's seeking us. 2 Timothy 1.9 reminds us that God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. He is calling us by name. Jesus was clearly seeking out Zacchaeus and calling him to a holy life. It was Jesus who looked up in the tree and initiated that interaction with him. It was Jesus who called out to him by name it was Jesus who invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. All Zacchaeus did was welcome him gladly. It says in verse 6, he welcomed him gladly. So I believe that it's, it's 
important for us to cultivate this holy curiosity and wonder about what God is up to. But it's just important to know that Jesus came to seek us. Maybe now more than ever, we need to cling to that reality that, that Jesus is seeking you, that he is calling you by name. He actually knows your name and cares about you. He's curious about you. He wants to get to know you. And I believe that Jesus is saying the same thing that he said to Zacchaeus that day. He's calling out to each one of us saying, I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. And I don't think I would normally be so struck by this particular verse, but probably because I've been spending a ridiculous amount of time in my house, uh, this portion of the text, it just spoke to me in such a deep way. It felt so personal, like Jesus was just saying that directly to me, that he wants to stay at my house, not just visit, he wants to stay there. He wants to dwell with me in my home. He wants me to know that his presence goes before me and beside me, behind me and all around me. Jesus is saying, I must stay at your house. May we be a people who would follow the example of Zacchaeus and welcome him with glad hearts. So I wanna end by just giving you two questions to think about and one thing to practice this week that may help you cultivate this holy curiosity. Real simple, two questions that I want you to just try asking. Um, and I actually mentioned them earlier. They're this. Um, what is God up to and how can I participate? What is God up to and how can I participate? And if you already have God figured out and you know everything there is to know about the universe, then you get a pass. These questions aren't for you. But if you're like me and you have questions and have fears, or you have control issues, or you just struggle with worrying, then these questions might be helpful for you to ponder. And here's a really simple thing to practice uh, as you're going about your week. Just try saying this short phrase uh, whenever you enter a room or start a conversation or engage in some task. Try saying this, Jesus, thank you for being present with me in this moment. Jesus, thank you for being present with me in this moment. Jesus, thank you for being present with me in this moment. As we enter in the Holy Week, um, would you consider being curious? 
this week, it's gonna feel different. There's no way of getting around that. Easter is gonna feel different. But I think that any disruption is an opportunity to be curious about how God might be at work. And I do not believe that this pandemic is from God, but I fully believe that God can and will work through it. So consider what God is up to and how you can participate. It may lead you running down a road or even climbing up a tree, but an encounter with Jesus is always worth it. I'd love to end with the serenity prayer. Some of you might be familiar with it, but would you join me in prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next life. Amen.